Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, the term refugee crisis uh, has been a mainstay, uh, mainstay in our social dialogue for really most of the past 10 years now, starting with the intensifying uh, civil war, of course, in Syria. Our news feeds have been flooded with pictures fleeing their homes, carrying an eclectic collections of their belonging in desperate conditions, seeking refuge from danger. This trend, of course, only intensified over the past year and a half with, you know, our own country's military exit from Afghanistan. And then, of course, uh, in February with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Today, the UNCHR estimates that there are 23.7 million people who have had to flee their home countries and cannot return uh, because of danger, threat, really, uh, to their lives. On top of that, there's another 52 million people who, while not having fled their home country, have been displaced from uh, their towns, from their Houses add to that those who are also uh, displaced by natural disasters, such as a hurricane that just went to Florida this week or all around the world. Most estimates put the number of people who have had to flee their homes for one reason or another at 100 million people today. It's an unimaginable crisis. A group of people so large that it would make, uh, make them the 14th largest nation in the world, carrying nothing but what they can hold in their hands, looking for a safe place to sleep. It's not hard to feel compassion. It's not hard for your heart to hurt. The thought of families and kids living weeks, months, years, some even their entire life spent at makeshift camps at the edge of a city, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no hope of stability, a future, unless someone, somewhere, opens the door. And the truth is that from the moment that God established a people for himself, it was his intention, it was his command to us, To be that place. To be at the forefront of caring for the foreigner, the alien, the refugee in our midst. God has always called his people, whether it was the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, or us as the church of Jesus Christ, to identify with the foreigner, with the refugee. Exodus 22, verse 21. uh, God commands The people of Israel do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for he reminds them, you were foreigners in Egypt. You see, God has hardwired this identity of foreigner, of refugee, into the foundations of the nation of Israel. They were never to forget that they lived in a land that they were not from. That Abraham was a sojourner in Canaan. That the Israelites had lived as refugees from a famine in the land of Egypt. It was a reminder of their own experience that should guide their attitudes, their inclinations towards foreigners in their own midst. They were to ensure that their nation would always be a safe place for foreigners to come. 
a place that they could live, they could make a life without fear of oppression, of mistreatment, without fear of being excluded. You see, one thing that we often forget is that really anybody could join the nation of Israel. From its foundation, the only requirement for someone to become an Israelite was that they come under the conditions of the covenant of God and his, that he had made with Abraham. That every male in the household be circumcised. The nation of Israel was not intended to be some exclusive club that only some could get into by the luck of their birth. In its role as a blessing to all nations, the doors to enter, to belong, were to always be kept open. Of course, the solidarity with the alien and the refugee continued when God sent the Messiah, his son Jesus. He too was sent as a refugee. Jesus, in order to escape the murderous efforts of King Herod, uh, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Egypt where he lived uh, for some time during his childhood. Even when they returned, rather than settle in their home region of Bethlehem, they, uh, for fear of persecution, they moved and he grew up in Galilee. Throughout his ministry, Jesus lived as a homeless wanderer. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, he said. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's how he would describe himself. And then before his death, Jesus explicitly called his followers to care for the stranger, identifying with them, saying that whatever we as his followers do for the strangers in our midst, we do for Jesus. Something that the early Christians and the early church took quite literally. Christians were known in history for taking strangers into their homes, for following the teachings of Hebrews chapter 13 that says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. In addition, the early uh, Christians continue to take on the mantle of foreigners and refugees in this world for themselves. The New Testament teaches that as disciples of Jesus... Our citizenship, our real citizenship, is in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And therefore, we are foreigners and strangers in this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 calls us to live out our time as foreigners here in reverent fear, he says. Ephesians 2, the passage that we just read, reminds us that through Christ, we who were foreigners and strangers to the kingdom of God, we've been Brought in. We have immigrated to the kingdom of God. And now our earthly national identity is, comes second to our citizenship in heaven. You see, God has purposely hardwired this identity of foreigner, of stranger, of exile, refugee into our identity as his people. That's what we really are. So that in every instance, we might stand in solidarity with a foreigner in exile, an alien and refugee in our midst. This is not a casual use of metaphor, but a consistent theme. It's a consistent point of emphasis that God has for his people all throughout the story. And as Matthew 25 points out to us. It is an issue on which we as his people will be evaluated. Our commitment to God 
is to be reflected in our commitment to foreigners and strangers and aliens in our midst. This, of course, stands in stark contrast to the spirit of birther nationalism that is growing, not just in our country, but really all around the world. Most of us know that there is a growing sentiment that foreigners and aliens present a real and present danger to what is uh, presented as our way of life. There are many voices in our world that seek to draw thick lines between citizens and refugees. They'll argue citizens belong, but refugees do not. Citizens have rights to services and resources. Refugees are a threat or a drain to those services or refugees. There are also those that seek to leverage the plight of the refugee for their political agenda. They are used as pawns in an international power game played between powerful people. And they very easily become a statistic, a cause, a number, or an issue to be considered. And we forget, we forget that every single one of those 100 million displaced people in the world is a life, is a person. Someone that God created loves someone that Jesus died for. It's a human being with relationships and hopes and a future. And this is why, as Christians, we are not called to just care about the issue of refugees. We're not just called to address the underlying causes of the problem. But we are called to care for the strangers, foreigners, aliens, and refugees themselves. For by doing so, Jesus says, we're caring for him. Well, fortunately for us here at Oak Hills, we have a number of people in our congregation that have been regularly reminding us of this fact. That refugees are not just a cause, but that they're very real people. And they're creating avenues for us to serve in very real ways. Of course, over the summer, uh, we've been working with Brian Dowd and NorCal Refuge and securing basic necessities for the folks coming to us from Afghanistan. Emily is uh, currently building a team of folks that are going to be working with uh, World Relief in uh, helping settle newly arrived refugees to the Sacramento area. And of course, more specifically, the number of families in our church uh, that are hosting some folks that have come to us from Ukraine as refugees. From the conflict there and the devastation that Russia's invasion has wrecked on the country there. And so, rather than me waxing on and on about what this might be like, we're actually going to get to hear from some folks firsthand. So, Emily, take it away. I said that's all I had earlier, but that's far from true. Uh, Debbie and Michael, Zachariah, would you guys come up? Uh, and I'll let them tell their story. So seven months ago, we hear about Russia invading Ukraine. And I know this stirred in you. This did not pass in one ear and out the other. So can you tell us what started churning in you at that time? I'll start off. Uh, hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, when the invasion happened in Ukraine, for us, it, it kind of hit home in a special way because uh, 102 years ago, my mom, who was Jewish, uh, was born in Kiev, and she fled at the time of the Russian Revolution. She made the wrong choice. They fled to Berlin and then had to flee again uh, when Hitler came to power. 
But the point is, the whole situation in Ukraine really struck us uh, deeply. So we gave some money, and that was nice, and that's important. But we felt like we wanted to do more. So Debbie and I sat down, and we said, how can we do more? Well, we didn't know any Ukrainians to help. And then I remembered, wait a second, Debbie, two years ago, there was this wonderful man a real craftsman who laid our new wood floor in our house, and he was Ukrainian. Why don't we start there? Let's see if we can get a hold of him and just express support. So I said to Debbie, why don't you contact the store where we had bought the floor and see if we can get a hold of him? We didn't even remember his name. So I called the store And the store owner said, oh, John, the Ukrainian. Yes, he's still here uh, two years later. And uh, I said, well, we'd like to reach out to him. Could we have his number? And in today's world of privacy, I thought maybe she'd say no, but she said yes. And so I got his number and we began texting. Um, I didn't know how good his English would be, but as we were texting and then calling, We invited him for a meal, him and his family, which was seven members. Um, And we found out that they belonged to a church. We set up a brunch at our home after their church service and after our church service um, with blue and yellow napkins and blue and yellow flowers and just really wanted to give, show them support. So, We had a wonderful time with John and his wife, Luba, and their children and a couple of in-law men for their daughters. And um, at the end, we said, if you hear of anyone who might need help, because they didn't, all their family members were here and they'd been here for 15 years, just contact us. And, And they said, well, maybe through our church, but... And, I, and then we said, well, we'll pray for you, and we'll pray about what God might have us do. So the next day, we were in Costco. You all can picture it, coming out with a trolley. And Michael pulled out his cell phone as we're walking, and suddenly he stopped dead in his tracks. And he said, oh, my goodness, Debbie, God answers prayer. And on his cell phone was a picture of a family and a text from John, the floor layer. And it said, this family has just arrived in our church today. Their home in Mariupol, Ukraine was bombed. Can you take them? Question mark. So... Uh, we got a hold of John, the floor layer, and said, well, I think we need to meet him. So they came over the next day, uh, which was March 29th, and we, they came over, this beautiful family you see, and Vitaly and Darina, who are their close friends from the Second Slavic Baptist Church, and we sat in our living room and they told us their story, and Vitali translated it. And uh, 
There wasn't a dry eye among us. And even now you can see. The loss they suffered, and even more importantly than the loss they suffered, was the way God had provided in an absolutely miraculous way for their safety, for their escape, and for their ultimate travel here to the U.S. So we showed them uh, the part of our house that they could stay in, and it was just so crystal clear to Debbie and me that uh, this was God's calling on us, and it was just like no question. And that day was March 29, and as God has it, uh, March 29 was my mom's birthday. My mom's would have been my mom's 108th birthday. So you have this son of a Ukrainian refugee, a hundred and uh, how many years later? 120 years later, uh, hosting another Ukrainian family as refugees. So that then started the process of getting our place ready for them. And that's where the whole thing kicked in, and we really felt the wave, wave, Q wave. Um, that's not Michael, by the way. That's, yeah, well, that's definitely not Michael. The wave, that wave is so symbolic. It's a metaphor for what we have been feeling all through this, and that is God's wave of how he's acting here and what is going on here, because we started putting out the word for help, and the church just came through like crazy. Emily came through like crazy. We had people donating gift cards and clothes, and our small group came through. And uh, They helped clean down there. Which in, hadn't been cleaned as thoroughly for quite a while. No drawers had been cleaned for a while. And so the whole, and, and our son-in-law... His uh, mom, who lives uh, in Dallas, talked to her friends in Dallas, and we started getting flooded from uh, people's help in Dallas. So you had this whole array of people helping, and then uh, Paul and Hannah and their kids moved in uh, later that week. And this whole thing has been a wave of... God acting, and all you do is you just take one step, and it just gets carried by the wave. So, Debbie, talk about the rest of the family and how they got here. So after Paul and Hannah arrived, we learned that Hannah's family had also escaped Mariupol and were in a Romanian refugee camp. And the the route through Mexico had closed, and we began a journey um, working with the U.S. government on a Uniting for Ukraine program and uh, trying to get their family. So about two and a half or three months later, their family came, and uh, I, I would love for you all to stand up. We have Natalia, who is on this end, who is Hannah's sister. And their daughter, Anya, and their daughter, Stacy, and her husband, Alex. And then her brother, Sasha, on that end, with his wife, Katya, their four-year-old little girl, Kira, 
And then baby Timor, who was born February 24th, the day that Russia rolled tanks into Ukraine. He was born on that day. And we also have Hannah's mother, Tamara, who has come with them and is just an invaluable asset of support to the whole family. We, and then, Michael, yeah, you're going to... I, I, thank you. <laughs> and I, and there's, there's some others who just have to be acknowledged because they've just been critical here. One of them is Emily and the work that she has done tirelessly all the way through to help with getting the rest of the family here, helping organize so many in the church that have helped, and particularly the Wits, Ted and Nancy right there, if you could stand up, and the Manansalas, Ed and Deanne right there, who are hosting the rest of the family. So they have brother and sister-in-law, and they have sister and brother-in-law and the kids, and they have just come through like champs, and they have felt God's calling and the wave that they're a part of. So give them... So, yeah, that's it. Well, thank you, guys. I was going to ask, like, how have you seen God at work? And I think that was very clear throughout your whole story. So um, why don't we have Paul come up and get to hear a little bit from him. And his friend Vitaly is here to do any translating as needed. But I'm thinking we won't need too much because, Paul, speak from your heart. You've done a great job so far. So uh, this is Good morning, Paul. church. And I don't know if you got to see his wife, Hannah, and their three kids. Yeah. So, I mean... Debbie mentioned it, but on February 24th, Russia invades, and um, there's this fear in your family, and yet there's this joy and celebration as little Tamor, who's right there, uh, is born. And so talk about tension of joy and fear. Um, Tell us what that day and kind of leading up to, or maybe the days following, was for you. Мы покинули Украину 3 марта. So we start the journey to leave the Ukraine on March 3rd, uh, 2022. So I want, to, I want to start the story how we left the city of Mariupol, our city. Мы очень переживали, мы собрались с родными и думали о том, что нам делать, когда началась война. We were worried about what to do next when the invasion began. Мы молились очень сильно Богу и просили у Него ответа. Я поставил конкретный вопрос Богу. На тот момент уже не было связи мобильной. So we prayed and we asked specifically what to do next and to understand there were no uh, cell service. The all the mobile phones were dead. Я сказал, Боже, если будет мобильная связь, ты разрешаешь нам выезжать из города, потому что было очень опасно. So if we're going to have the self-service on our phones, then you tell us that we're good to go to move out the city. Мы молились, мы каялись за все, мы вспоминали всю свою жизнь. 
And we were praying and we were repenting for everything that we've done wrong in our lives. Мы молились больше часа, и так мы заснули вместе с женой. We were praying more than one hour and we fall asleep just like that. В час ночи нас разбудил Бог. One a.m. at night, God woke up. Мы еще раз помолились и легли спать. We prayed one more time and we fall asleep again. И мне прошла одна минута, я увидел, как свет загорелся на телефоне. And one minute left, and I saw how the you know the screen laid up on my phone uh, in the middle of the night. Я понял, что Бог ответил. And I just realized that God just answered my prayer. Потом мы уехали, было на утро мы уехали, и эта история очень длинная. And that night he got the signal, and that's how they left the city. The the, the story is long. Бог творил очень много чудес. God was mercy to us. Это моя дочь, это наш дом. This is my daughter. This is our house inside. Мы очень любили с семьей проводить время перед камином. And so you left the home. This is your это наш, church. Это наша yeah. церковь. And this is the church. Yeah. Uh, it's church before war. It's And this is what after. Yeah. That's the church. So as you fled, you made it to Romania. Мы сперва покинули Украину, мы попали в Румынию. Yeah. Uh, after we left Ukraine, we uh, end up in Romania. А потом оттуда через неделю мы полетели через Мексику в Америку. Бог творил очень много чудес. Я написал историю об этом, и вы сможете прочитать is um, is how God has shown up and been very real to you. Do you want to express any of that? Я понял за это время очень важные две вещи. I understood in this times two very important things. Бог очень любит нас. God very loves us. Он любит тех, и отвечает тем, у которых чистое сердце. Для того, чтобы было чистое сердце, нужно покаяние. И когда мы это сделали, попросили прощения, Он ответил на нашу просьбу. Бог любит очень всех, и Он умер за нас. Бог любит всех, и Он умер за нас. Вторую вещь, которую я понял, 
Бог учит нас жить жертвенно, и этому я учусь у Него. Слава Иисусу, который показал нам пример жертвенной любви. Я учусь у Него, I learn from him. и учусь у вас, And I learned from you guys. У семьи Майкла с Деби. And especially as family Michael and Debbie. Слава Богу, спасибо всем. Thank you, all of you guys, and praise Lord. Yeah. Well, thank you guys.